Hello beautiful people, welcome to Dropping Gems. My name is Jemmy Julian and this podcast is set up to help individuals to get unstuck, to be healed from childhood trauma, turning their pain to power, catapulting them into purpose so that they can live their best, happy and fulfilled lives. We are going to be speaking with individuals who are influencers and stakeholders on this topic, who have an authority on this topic, and who will be going in depth to give solutions so you can get to the other side. So stay tuned, lock tight, and get ready for some interesting conversation and some drop-in of some gems. of the Dropping Gems podcast. Today, it's going to be a duo episode. I have with me a beautiful woman. She's Grenadian and lives in London. Um, I'm going to introduce her in quite in a moment. Today, we're going to be talking about women, trauma, and coping. And of course, you know that we promised you that we'll be speaking to influencers on this podcast because this podcast is set up to help you push past your childhood trauma, push past your childhood pain, moving you into, into purpose and walking your power. And the person, that beautiful lady that we're going to be speaking to today, she is an expert in that field. She has went through her own personal experience in this field that we're speaking about, and she's happy to share, give you some clarity, let you know some of the systems and support and things that she used to get to a place where now she's healed and helping other people heal in this area. So today, I'm introducing you to you, Ms. Natalie Simon-Best. Natalie is the founder of the Ending Stigma Grenada, a mental health advocate and a motivational speaker. Ending Stigma Grenada was created in 2018 to help reduce the stigma associated with mental health in Grenada by raising awareness and campaigning for change. Natalie is now incorporating wellness coaching into her end stigma Grenada. Natalie has a master's in politics and she also has a pre-graduate um, degree in mental health. I will allow Natalie to introduce to you some more about herself as we get into this beautiful conversation. And it's my hope that you'll be able to take some gems from this today. So Natalie, the floor is yours. Hi guys. So I'm Natalie. I'm from Mangrambi in St. John's. I went to the St. Rose Morden Secondary School in Guar. And what I'm going to be doing today, I'm going to be sharing my story with you and what I've been through and how I've overcome. Okay. Thank you so much. And Natalie is a very beautiful, humble soul. And Natalie, just let me just say this. What I admire most about you that you have space, you have created space for others, and you share your space because... Um, I met you through you just following um, the platform, the community that I have, and you have been very um, supportive. You've been consistent. You always give an encouraging word, you know, and that's what we have to do, create space for others and encourage others. Although we're in, the sim in similar fields, although we do a similar practices, it's all about the end goal, which is to help others to come to a place of healing, a place of walking in power and purpose. So today, I will ask you this question Natalie. Tell us about your trauma, what you experienced as a child, and um, how it was like dealing with that situation. Okay, so I'll probably start in the beginning. Mm -hmm. My mum my has schizophrenia, and this impacted my life greatly. So 
what I can remember from the, that time when I was younger, I first remember being in a cop alone and abandoned because, because my mum wasn't well, she would do strange things and probably leave us abandoned. That's myself and my sister. Um, because she was unwell, we were taken away and went to live in various care homes. And eventually I, I was adopted by my grandmother who now lives in Grenada. That was my place of safety. But when I arrived there, I had lots of trauma. I noticed that I found myself rocking and quite unstable. And I think people have noticed something wasn't quite wrong with me, but people didn't speak about it. Um, my grandmother used to say I was a bit slow and I was scared to speak. And obviously I had trust issues. Um, I was scared of rejection. And actually in that place where I was living, that place of safety, I experienced um, sexual abuse at the hands of somebody that was supposed to protect me. So as a young girl, before the age of nine, I had experienced quite a traumatic um, experience in my young life, in my early life. Okay. So when did you recognize that people around you didn't notice that you were going through pain, but you knew that there was some, some form of dysfunction from you being taken away from your mother because of us and schizophrenia? You were taken away from your mother and placed with your grandmother, or you had multiple home, homes. When did you realize that it was something called dysfunction? Well, you may not have had the professional term for it, but when did you re really re realize that there was dysfunction, there was pain, and that your experience was traumatic? I think all along, from about the age of nine onwards, but mainly when I was a teenager, because I found, I found myself to be very shy, introvert. I wouldn't speak up. I had low self-worth, low confidence. And I really think that it was in my early 20s when I realized that I wasn't coping that well and I would use alcohol as a way of coping to give me that confidence, that boost. So it would be things like drinking Baileys just before I go and have a job interview or go to a party or socialize with other people or, or, or wine or just things that could help me, even just to numb the pain and the sadness. And sometimes I find myself worrying about things that maybe you wouldn't worry about or somebody else wouldn't worry about, but I find myself worrying quite a lot about things like that. And I think what really impacted me as well, I mean, I was happy when I lived in Grenada. Not finishing St. Rose Modern Secondary School in Guo really impacted me because I loved the school. I had created um, great friendships and great bonds, but unfortunately I had to come back to London because my grandmother was ill. So, yeah, not finishing school impacted me quite badly because I felt like, you know, I wasn't worthy. Um, I wasn't bright and it, wasn't, it was like not fair that I didn't have achieved my qualifications. And also I think... I had like relationship issues, obviously, because I had trust issues. It was very difficult for me to bond with, with, with you know, with my boyfriend. I would sort of sabotage and do things to, to make the relationship sort of end because I would thought if I end it rather than them end, it will, it would be better and I feel safer if I sort of have control. So I think the trauma was throughout my early life. I definitely recognise this from the age of, um, say, around nine to my, to my early my late twenties, I would say, definitely. Wow, um, Natalie, I just want you to know that um, my story is very similar. I'm not sure if you had opportunities, so I empathize with you. I understand, 
And even while you are speaking about this now, I know it can bring back a lot of memories. Um, it can bring back a lot of negative emotions, but the whole plan about it is to tell your testimony so that you gain victory over the enemy from all of the negative things that he would have placed in your mind over the years. It's not an opportunity to free yourself. And while you're freeing yourself, it's also intervention for someone else. Um, yeah, definitely. Definitely. I think I see this um, opportunity on your show is a way for me to express everything that I've been through so that I'll be able to reach out and help others. And just maybe somebody's listening to what I'm saying and they may be like, oh, I can't speak up and there's so much that I want to, you know, express. And maybe just by hearing me speak, maybe some sort of inspiration. And I just want people to know it's not easy for me to, you know, share these sort of things so publicly. And if anybody that knows me knows I hate cameras and I hate recordings. And I hate, uh, I'm not doing it for myself. Yes, and that and that's good. That's good. I'm glad. So you mentioned earlier that some of your coping mechanism was alcohol. And of course, we know the, the very famous ladies, the ladies drink. Um, <laughs> what other things do you use to cope um, before you got to a place where you sought healing or professional help? What other things were you using to cope while you were still just recognizing that there's trauma and trying to kind of get to a place where you can just be comfortable daily dealing with it. What are other things that you used to cope? Uh, so I think growing up in my teens when I was living with my grandma, but I tried my best not to get into trouble. I didn't want to do anything wrong. I didn't want to go back to any care home. I just wanted to be protected by her. So I'll do anything she said. So I almost found myself as somebody like a people pleaser. I wouldn't say no. Anything you said, I would say yes, sir, because I just wanted to feel loved and, and, and um, appreciated and, and looked after. Um, growing up in my early 20s, I was quite outrageous. I used to wear very colourful, bright clothes, bright shoes, bright hair. I think that was the way that I wanted to be noticed and deal with my trauma as well. But... As I said earlier, alcohol played a big part of me being able to speak my mind. So after I had like a, a glass of wine, I was able to just express myself. Um, I would say I avoided talking about my problems. That was my, my way through, just avoiding, but that's not helpful. And then I realized at the end, I was wearing a mask for a very long time. And into probably into my 30s, I was wearing, wearing a mask. But I realized that mask had to come off. Okay. So thanks for sharing. So Natalie, I know that you have a lot of um, educational and professional experience in mental health. Before we get into those avenues and the support systems that you use professionally, you mentioned masking. For the average person that's on here that's going through trauma right now, that's dealing with rejection, that's maybe in foster care, or maybe multiple foster care who was, may have been taken away by ACS for those of us in the US, or for those of us who would have taken away by social services because our parents are on drugs or our parents are not mentally stable, they're not financially stable. And you saying that you became a people pleaser, I know what that is. You always wanted to do right because you feel as though if you do good and well enough that you will be accepted and that's gonna be a way for you to kind of get some points or merit or some form of acceptance. You said masking. So the person who's on here who doesn't understand what masking is, can you explain to them in the lowest possible um, 
um, description what mask it is and what are some of the things other than you using your colorful hair and your colorful clothes, um, what are some of the other things that folks who are going through trauma use to mask and they're not aware that that's what they do? Because we want people to understand that some of the symptoms will let you know that you are facing trauma and some of the, the um, if you want to say, the results of action is as a matter of facing trauma. So just explain masking to us um, in, in a very simple terms, in terms of your own experience and from a professional level. Yeah, I think that a lot of people think of masking, you know, like you're wearing a mask. But what I would actually say is that masking could be something like drinking alcohol um, could be like um, you could mask it with alcohol or maybe what you wear. Um, hiding behind like materialism. Mm -hmm. There's lots of different ways that people mask what they're going through, you know, helping others and not focusing on themselves. So they reach out to everybody else and they're not dealing with their own stuff. Right. So that's another way. Because you're, you're when you're masking, you're almost hiding, aren't you? Yes. Behind yes. other things. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So I, I think that's what I would consider masking. Right. Uh, for me, when I went through my trauma, I think I sought validation. So um, with my mom, I would buy a lot of stuff. I would like give her money. I would go get groceries, make sure the bills are kept, make sure I care for my younger siblings. And um, that still wasn't good enough. And I also remember always trying to help everybody, always being the savior for everybody. Everybody will come to me and I will say yes too, because that was my way of feeling as though I'm doing my good deed. You know, I'm serving a purpose. I'm over here. I'm the best person. But then the bad, the, 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 the sad thing about that is that when you look around after you've been superwoman or you've been that source of strength and support for everybody else, nobody takes time to see because now here you are being superwoman and nobody can tell that you're dealing with a situation. So what winds up happening is that you are overwhelmed. You get to a place where you are drained, where you are literally burnt out trying to please others. And then you have to go back to yourself now. You have to deal with your own pain. You have to deal with the rejection because what you thought was going to be um, good enough for someone to at least praise you or to give you some form of recognition that didn't work so it's compounding the issue and the ultimate the ultimate what I've done is the ultimate is to get support or to get help speak to someone and for me my intervention started in the church let us know where did your support outside of your grandmother being a safety net for you where do you find support? What avenues and systems do you use to overcome trauma and start your healing? Well, yeah, that's a good one. So I think for me, it was like around 2006, I felt that something had to change. You know, too many things were just sort of going wrong or I was allowing too many things just to happen around me. So in 2006, I, I found the courage to go back to school and that wasn't easy you know, so obviously I had to start at the beginning. I had to go to college. I had to do an access course in social science. And um, I remember being really nervous. I remember almost having diarrhea when my friend was driving me to the college because, you know, going, back mature, wow. <laughs> because going back as a mature student, it's not easy. Do you know what I mean? I was already in my bar, I was in my early 30s, and I was like, no, I can't do this and stuff like that. 
I remember telling my grandmother, phoning her, saying, I'm going back to school. You know, she's like, are you sure you're going to stick this out? I mean, even she had doubt in me and I sort of had a little doubt in myself. And I said, no, I'm going to do this. I need to go back to education. I need to start at the very, very beginning. And um, yeah, and also later on, I met my partner. So I've been in a stable relationship. And I think being in a stable relationship really helps, you know, that you've got that support network. That really helps me with my healing. And um I used to listen to inspirational speeches on um, on videos on YouTube, such as Oprah. I used to love to listen to Oprah, Lisa Nichols, and anything motivational. I was just glued. I listened to like three hours a day, like from morning till night. I'd just be listening to inspirational videos to help me. Um, and I thought I would set myself some really, really, really big goals. And one of my goals was to achieve a master's. And um, people was like, really? And I was like, yeah, I'm gonna do it and that was one of my biggest goals and I think to move me forward I had to set big goals I had to challenge myself my self-care as you said I spent so many times looking after everybody else and not looking after me doing so many things for my my friends my family giving them money babysitting doing so many things and I wasn't looking after myself so I had to say hold on a minute I've got to look after myself. People won't, you know, people won't value me. I've got to value myself. So I think self-care was one way of me healing and looking after myself. But what I would say is that healing is not an easy process. It doesn't just end like that. I think we're always healing and going through certain things. But that was up until I would say like in 2018, everything was fine. I was healing. I'd achieved all my goals. I was like, yeah, the Andy Sigma thing is taking off. And then another thing happened, which, you know, I didn't expect. It's shocking. It's going to shock a lot of people, but I'm going to say it because it's part of who I am. It's part of what I've experienced. And it's part of, I had to heal again. So in t- 2019, late 2019, I found out that I was adopted by a rapist. Oh, wow. Yeah. And this was as a result of speaking my truth. So obviously the sexual abuse I told you that I had experienced as a youngster, I never told anybody because I was dealing with it in my own way, you know. But I thought, how could I help other people? I, I claim to want to help other people. And I've got this big dirty secret within me. I've got to just, you know, I've got to talk about it I've got to deal with it I've got to process this so you know the first thing that I thought I would do is try to make sense by speaking about it but there is one good thing that came out of it is when I spoke to other family members they said they had experienced something similar and in fact my auntie told me that she kept the secret for 50 years that she hadn't told anybody that her dad her real dad because obviously it was my step-grandfather in Grenada which was my auntie's rule dad had raped her and got her pregnant when she was nine years old. So by me sharing my experience with her, she said, Natalie, let me tell you something. This happened to me when I was nine or, you know, from the age of nine to 13, but I haven't told anybody, but because of your courage to tell me, I'm going to tell you something that this is what happened. This is what my stepdad and I have told nobody for 50 years. I've held this within myself. And because of your courage, I've shared this. So that's one good thing that came out of it. But now I found myself having to go through the healing process again. So obviously I had to have six months of counselling. I had to try to understand. I needed to 
speak these things out. I needed to express how I was the pain that I was going through. This was another set of pain that I was going through. So I had six months of counselling and um, I, yeah, so that's sort of how I recovered from, from that, I would say. So, yeah. So healing process, as I said, takes a long time and we're always healing. Oh, I'm so sorry to hear that, Natalie. Um, wow, that's that's a lot. So you're saying that there's a family member in the family that was as a result of incest. There was, there's a baby that was formed as a result of incest? Yes. Uh, yeah, well, that they got rid of it. It's, it's almost like they don't want to talk about it. It's like... Wow. You know, you know those old people that, you know, it, this was brought up in a way that it has sort of um, hurt my family a lot. And it would, you know, it would hurt the family. But I said, at the end of the day, I didn't cause this. It was just by me speaking out that these other things were discovered. And um, wow. and I'm glad. Yeah. I'm, I am definitely glad that I spoke because, as I said, I've, I've been able to help other people along the way, especially my auntie. I'm glad that you, I'm, I'm so glad that you did, Natalie, because um, for me, there's still a story that I haven't told, I haven't shared with my family, and I think it's better to do it in person. Um, I was molested as well um, by someone, by a distant family member, and um, it's not a story that I've shared yet, but I know that once I have to open up about it, it's gonna be something that we all will have to go through the healing process all over again. And um, the thing is, is that because we both have, we have a lot in common, and one of the things that we have in common is that we both grew up in a West Indian background, a Caribbean background, and um, mental health is stigmatized. Going to a therapist is stigmatized. Speaking about sexual sins in families is stigmatized. Speaking about abuse in families is stigmatized. Speaking about incest and any form of, as I said, sexual sin is not something that, that's the white elephant in the room. And for those of you who don't know what a white elephant is, that's the thing that keeps everything silent. Nobody wants to address it. Nobody wants to speak about it. Nobody wants to get there. But what I've realized is that as God raises us up in purpose, he would give us that boldness because I always go back to Jeremiah 29, 11 that says, before you were for me, your mother's womb, I knew you. And I came to, I call you to be a prophet to the nation. And I came to also give you a desired end. And when we hear about a prophet, we, we think literal, it's someone who is holy and sanctified and speaking, thus said the Lord, and thus said the Lord. But a prophet essentially is someone who speaks things that are going, that's going to come to pass, or who has an insight or foresight, or even sometimes hindsight of situations happening. And I believe, it's my belief that there's a prophet, there's someone that's chosen and called in every family to be a deliverer. I always think about how Joseph was a deliverer for his family as much as he was the one that went through a lot. If you see the pattern, I think about David going through some stuff because he had to go through some stuff, right? He was not the child that was chosen. I think about Samuel, growing up in a, a place where he, his mother Hannah would have um, speak to God about him. 
And there are so many other stories where even when Samuel went to anoint David because he was not the ideal child, he was a bastard child. So there's always that one person that's the deliverer for the family that goes through a lot of trauma. And I always listen to Jay Barnett, and that's somebody that I emulate because of his transparency over the few years that I've seen him working. And he, he used this very profoundly um, in his therapy sessions. He said that in the book of um, Solomon, it says, in, I think it's in the Ecclesiastical Songs of Solomon, one of those um um, it can be Proverbs or one of those um, books. There is nothing, I think it's Ecclesiastic. There is nothing new under the sun. So as we are now operating in AD after Christ, uh, is it AD or is he, uh, I may get it wrong. Well, the point I'm making is that everything that's happening now has happened before would have happened in the days of Abraham, in the days of Isaac. If you think about when Lot went through, they were, they were doing sodomy. God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. They were doing sodomy, right? And they were doing a lot of sexual sins in their family. And God destroyed them. And God saved Lot. Lot's wife had a chance to be saved because she knew what it was, but she said, curse God and die. And she became a pillar. Do not look back. As she looked back, as she became a pillar of salt. Because sometimes we tend to want to look back of where God is taking us from. And the point I'm making here is that this forum, this this what we're doing here, this conversation that we're going to be having, the gems that we are dropping. And one of my gems for today is that there's a deliverer in every family. And because you are going through trauma or you're going through pain or overwhelm doesn't mean that you're not the deliverer. More than likely, if you are going through that, it means that you are the one that's chosen for your family, for your generation to break the curse. So that's a gem for today. You can be the deliverer. Also, another gem for today is always ensure that you get to a place of healing or you get to a place where you can speak up because your story is not for you. It's for the people that's attached to you for destiny. So Natalie, I want to bless God for you today that you were bold enough, even, even though you went through your own problems, your own trauma, your own overwhelm and rejection, that you were brave enough to come back and do a master's in, in, um, in, in politics, that you were able to come back and do um, your, your pre-graduate in um, your undergrad in mental health, that you were able to form an organization and create a community that you can serve both in London and Grenada. I commend you for that. And listen, I, I pray every day and I ask God to connect me with great people, people who like-minded. And I, listen, I have a new sister. I feel welcome. I'm glad to have met you. And I know this is just the beginning because God is being strategic. If I didn't tell my story, if I did not create the, the community, if I didn't create the platform, we were not going to connect. And now you did the, what you had to do, and your aunt or your cousin was able to use your story, your motivation, your initiative, your bravery, your boldness as a way of intervention for her to speak out, to get some stuff and break some generational curses. So I want you to know that you're doing the right thing. I don't want you to judge yourself. I don't want you to retreat and think that maybe you should not have said what you said because somebody's deliverance is depending on that. 
So now that we got that out of the way, because <laughs> I can really go to preaching one sometimes, I'm so sorry. What made Natalie get into mental health? I mean, it's obvious, but I, I want you to tell it to you. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think, for, I think for me, it was like, it's all about going back to my mom. It all stems back to my mom. I mean, it may sound a little selfish, but obviously that's the, you know, how I got into it. First of all, I think not having a hug from my mother, not having any pictures of her, not being able to send her a mother's day card, not receiving a birthday card from her, not being able to hug her, not being able to know anything about her. And I think this was all because of the stigma. So my grandmother's side in Grenada kept me away. Well, obviously she wasn't living in Grenada, but they kept me away. I wasn't allowed any phone calls and any access to her. And this was all because of the stigma attached to mental health. And I think it was sort of like a calling, you know, that I'm supposed to do something about this. I'm supposed to not just moan, cry, worry, and just blame and just go, oh, poor me, woe's me. I think it's a calling for me to do what I could to help others and definitely to end the stigma associated with mental health. I mean, I was already working with vulnerable people. I was, um, at the time, I was an employment advisor, so I was like, vulnerable, but they weren't just vulnerable. A lot of them had mental health needs, they had anxiety, they had so many, you know, depression, so many things going on. So I thought, we can't just force these people into work. We have to work with these underlying issues. And I thought that, you know, I want to make a difference where I can. So uh, that's why I decided to pursue um, um, a master's in mental health. And that was around 2014 when I realized I need to now, although I had already the master's in uh, international relations and politics, I thought, you know what, I need to challenge myself again. And I need to, this must be my calling. This is where I can make a real difference. So that's, I think, what called me to, to that's my why, I would say, for, for, for getting involved in mental health. Yeah. And that's a great why. Um, a lot of times, I guess, um, for me also, when I got involved in KSAC work, I, um, it was because my father had gotten like a DUI, DWI, and I, um, you know, it's just a Caribbean thing. Um, alcohol is used as a form of socializing, as a form of passing time. It's just something that we do. And I know that you, you must have been aware of the statistic that um, for a couple of years, I think over like between 2016 and 2018, Grenada was ranked like second in the world for the most alcohol consumption. So it's something that we do. And someone was saying that they went to Grenada one time. And it's kind of sad at the same time, because of course we did a lot of sugarcane and we had the slave trade and all of these things that um, our forefathers would have planted, the sugarcane and the molasses and things like that. So that was a way of life, a way of getting an income and economic. Um, it was a way um, that was turning the economy. But with that being said, um, we kind of kind of got a little bit comfortable um, with alcohol and using it, and it's like a pastime. And someone said that they went to Benita one time, um, not to bash my own country, but I'm just saying that they went to Benita, and while they were there, they went to like those are those little, what we call little rum shops. And it was early in the morning, and almost every shop that they went to, there were a group of men. They were having, you know how we have the saltfish, the saltfish sauce, and bake, but they were literally having rum with it. It wasn't like they were having coffee or tea or juice. And he said he was so like taken aback that so early in the morning, that was the way of life. And I'm like, yeah, that's what we do. Like, like there's no particular time for you to 
consume alcohol in my country. I mean, you kind of buy alcohol as a minor. And I think if there's some kind of like on election day, you have to kind of not sell alcohol. But other than that, alcohol is sold every day. Once you're 18 years older, um, you, <laughs> you can purchase alcohol. I'm saying all of this to say that there is so much things that we accept over the years. And for me, seeing how alcohol would have affected my ex, my ex-boyfriend and my, my father, that's when I got into um, the work that I do. So I understand that it would be only natural for you to get into mental health work because of your mom. So you spoke about your calling and you kind of really positioned it really good, unpacking how you did your healing, how you got into your professional life. I also want to know, when did you discover purpose? Because as Thierry says, your purpose is your innate ability that's given to you by God. And your gifting is what you can do naturally, which is almost like your purpose, but there's a difference. And then your calling is whatever the vision or the mission is for that particular purpose. And your calling can change at any time. So it can be mental health work right now with a group of youth. And then it can be end stigma with a group of women next week because calling can change based on the time and season. What would you say is your innate purpose outside of your ability to go to school and become a professional in mental health what would you say also everything that the trauma that you went through the overwhelm the rejection the abandonment the low self-esteem what would you think is your what what is your niche what are you you what's unique about you what would you say is the thing that if you had to explain yourself in two words or three words what would be that thing that people could come to you for Okay, so what I would say is, remember I said earlier that I was working as an employment advisor, well, senior employment advisor on a government work program, and a lot of these people had issues, and I thought that I needed to learn more about mental health, to understand them and to serve them better. So what I thought, after I said I enrolled for the Masters in Mental Health, I decided to change jobs and go to volunteer for mental health charity and about a week after volunteering they gave me a paid position to fundraise for mental health so that was my way into the sort of mental health thing and because I knew I had more to offer and I wanted to learn more and get closer to what I wanted to do and I knew that I wanted to move back to Grenada and I knew there was a purpose or calling for me there so what I did I actually visited the Mount Gay Hospital I done lots of research around mental health. I researched everything. I Googled, I researched everything mental health in Grenada to find out what was available, what was on offer, what did they have, what workshops were available, who was the person to speak to, you know, just, and that, there wasn't really that much that sort of, apart from going to like Mount Gay and obviously St. George University, there wasn't that much that came up, like in, in terms of the community, the way they still spoke about people with um, mental health in Grenada, like the cra crazy people, the pink house, they crazy they send all the crazy people the attitudes were still a little bit backwards and I thought you know what I could come out here I want to move back this is my home I want to make a difference in my I want to make a difference in my country and I think I prayed about it a lot and um that's when I started planning things behind the scenes because I was planning things from about 
2016, 2016, 2017, I didn't know how. I did not know how. I just sort of, I started composing an email address. I didn't know why. And I was like, what's my color going to be? What's it all going to be about? But what I do remember is like that I was building my plane while flying it. I had no idea what I was doing. And I said, God, you're going to help me here because this is my purpose. And there's a need for me in Grenada. I realized that they don't talk about mental health that much. And, you know, and the stigma is just, he's still there up to now, you know, but I think that was my purpose. I think my purpose was to do mental health awareness uh, in Grenada. That's, oh, it my That's what my heart says. I love it. I love it. Um, yes, because, you know, a lot of times um, we, we, we get exposure to different things and we have a lot of different um, hats that we wear. So we tapping into ministry, we tapping into business, we tapping into our calling, our gifting, our purpose. And um, I'm happy that you said that because I wanted you to tell your story so that the people that's listening in, in the diaspora, the people that's listening in North America, in the UK, in Canada, all over the world and in Grenada locally, they can understand what you offer because um, it is one thing to just say that you mental health, but I'm glad that you're, you know that your purpose is to bring awareness. Your purpose is to eradicate the stigma, um, to take away those those um, very harsh words like crazy and pink house and, and uh, the Carlton home and things like that. For those of you from Grenada or may not be from Grenada, the pink house is what um, the name for the mental health institution in Grenada. And um, the Carlton home is the name of the drug avoidance institution in Grenada. That's the home for people who are on substance abuse, the alcohol abuse, um, and you know, they're struggling with that. And then crazy is just a word that we use loosely to describe somebody that has a mental health disorder or struggles with mental health illness. And um, the replacement word would be to say it's a mental health institution instead of the pink house. Um, the replacement word would be to say it's um, mental health disorder or mental health illness that somebody is going through or trauma. Um, and, the, and the better thing to say is somebody is going to um, uh, KSAP or a SAP, which is an alcohol for a substance abuse um, institute. We have to start to re relearn unlearn some of the negative things and relearn. Uh, we have to start to treat people with respect, just like people have cancer and they have diabetes. Um, they go to an oncologist if they have cancer. They go to a medical doctor if they have diabetes. Um, you know, we have those people who do the colonoscopy and who did the colonics and things like that to help with the colon and so many other things. This is a disease just like that. So we can't want to exactly. treat some disease as if it's, okay, it's very important and we understand it and then we treat mental health differently or we treat trauma differently or we see someone literally losing their mind and they hallucinating and they acting a little bit unusual and then we stigmatize them. They're human beings too. They're just going through some form of illness or disease in their brain. Just like diabetes is caused by um, your, your liver not being able to process sugar, mental health is something that's caused because your brain is not healthy enough to process every, your thoughts and everything. So we want to get to a place where we are educating people. We're bringing clarity. 
even for family members who are facing members who struggle with that. It's not a stigma. It's an opportunity for you to provide support, love, and to help that person through that, just like you will literally nurse your, your family member, make sure that they're eating right, make sure that they're taking their insulin. It's the same way you make sure that your family member or your loved one who's going through mental health or trauma, they get to a therapist, they get to a psychiatrist, they get to a psychologist to get the support that they need. Right, Natalie? I hope that, I hope I was able to kind of <laughs> say like no, you that, that, That's really... That's really you know important what you're saying I think people need to be kinder for example in 2018 when I was in Grenada I remember there was an incident of a young lady in St George's and she tried to strip off naked strip off yes, her clothes I remember that. and instead of people helping her they took out their phone and they recorded it I know can you imagine I was so, I was like no way you know I was so hurt do you know what I mean yeah. it was, it's terrible I, I, was hurt too. I was hurt too I saw it and I was like you know so I think where we come in we're not we're not we're not perfect we're still healing we're still coping we're still getting over our own little um idiosyncrasies and our own stuff happening in the background but what I can say is that once we start speaking and once we start sharing and once we start being transparent and open with our population and our friends and our family and our communities, I think that's our step in the right direction. If we, if we can save one generation, if we can save one person, if we can educate one person, give some one person clarity as to what they need to do, how they need to get past that. Uh, I think that we, we we stepping in the right direction and we serve a purpose. So as we wrap up, Natalie, I have this final question for you. I want you to, uh, I know that you already introduced the work that you're doing in N Sigma Grenada. So I want you to tell the folks um, how they can get in touch with you, your ministry and your community. So, um, so what I was doing in 2018, so I launched Ending Stigma Grenada to sort of end or reduce the stigma associated with mental health in Grenada, as you know, it's definitely needed. So I was doing things like campaigning, writing in newspapers, speaking on the radio, um, interviews. I was delivering mental health awareness workshops where people can recognize, you know, the symptoms of mental health and um, things like that. But I was and obviously um, offering advice and guidance and support. But I was doing all of this on a voluntary level. So this is what I was doing from 2018. And, and even while I'm here now, I'm trying to get back to Grenada once the lockdown ends. But I have a new um, business that I've incorporated into Ending Stigma Grenada, which is the wellness coaching. So that's what so that's my new venture. Um, and this is to support and encourage young people to clarify and set goals for change. So this is my new venture that I'm establishing now. So it's a very new and very I'm new that, that I'm trying to do. Yeah, because I think I definitely think there's a need. And I think goal setting is all a part of it. And for me, for me to get where, where I am, I had to set a lot of goals and huge goals. And I had to challenge myself. And I think you sometimes in life you do need to set goals. You know, you, you do. Yes. Yes. Yeah, and I'm, I'm excited because what coaching is, is you basically sharing your own intervention, your own strategies, things where you got successes and where you saw um, achievements and you were able to attain and succeed and, you know, try and be triumphant over some of the, the, the struggles that you had. This is what it is. So it's always easier to say, 
I know what that is. I can show you because I did it rather than I I can imagine. Yes. So um, tell us more about your social media handles just before we um, end this broadcast so that they know where to find you on Instagram or Facebook or YouTube or your email addresses and things like that. Brilliant. Thank you. So I usually use Facebook. So I've got Ending Sigma Grenada Wellness Coaching on Facebook. So you can like me and add me there. And um, you can email me at endingstigmagrenada at gmail.com. That's the best way, I think, to get in contact with me would be via email. And I also have an Instagram account. It's very young, I must say. Um, but, yeah, these are different um, avenues for contacting me. Okay, so you heard it from the beautiful Natalie. Natalie, you're a beautiful soul, and I bless God for you. I can't help saying that. Um, so you can reach Natalie if you're tuning in to this podcast, which is episode five of the season one of the Dropping Gems podcast. We just finished speaking to the beautiful Natalie Simon Best. Uh, she's a mental health coach. She's also very experienced in mental work. And um, she has experiences working in the UK and in Grenada. She's Grenadian-born, um, London-based, and she's ready to help you to get to the next level to set goals. Feel free to reach out to Natalie at endingstigmagrenada at gmail. That's her email address. You can also reach her at endingstigmagrenada on Facebook and endingstigmagrenada on Instagram. So today, we pray that you were able to receive some gems for this conversation, we want to thank Natalie so much for joining us on this very interesting conversation. As we said before, we're going to bring, be bringing to you um, influencers who have authority on the topics that we're speaking about, people who did the work, who invested in the education, who have their own personal experiences, who have their own um, professional certifications and accolades in this in this field. So we're bringing people who have what it takes to bring you to the next level. So today we pray that you were able to take the gems. One of the gems we said today is for you to speak up. Somebody needs your story. Somebody's um, life and somebody's breakthrough is, is dependent on your story. Also, as you go through stigma, as you heal, you'll be allowed to heal others. And that's another gem that you took from today. And it's also good for you to network and to share your platforms so that we can reach more. Because once we get to one person in one family, it means that a generation is positively uh, affected for positive change and healing and breakthrough and deliverance. So we're going to end today's podcast and we want to thank you. And if you want to reach out to me to follow and hear of this podcast, it's going to be coming up on March 14th, 2021, um, 2 p.m. Eastern time. You're going to go on to Jemmy.Julian. All of the podcasts are already, there are already four episodes uploaded. This is going to be our fifth episode. And we thank you for tuning in. And we look forward to hearing from you and listening with you or tuning in, chatting with you, whatever it is. We want to connect with you on our next podcast, our next episode. So Natalie, we thank you for being here today and all the best. Thank you very much. Thank you. 
Now this wraps up today's broadcast of Dropping Gems. It is my hope that you were able to get some great gems from today's conversation. And I look forward to hearing or you tuning in to our next episode of Dropping Gems. Feel free to follow us on Facebook at Jemmy Julian, Instagram at Jemmy Julian, and to subscribe to our YouTube channel. I look forward to chatting with you guys again and do take care. Thank you.